Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Well, as we uh, continue our seafaring theme, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. We in encounter uh, Paul in this story, ready to prepare for a journey to Italy, to Rome specifically. And uh, as you saw in our scripture reading, uh, we find the crew in a spot where they're just hopeless. Uh, and I'm sure you can relate and understand there are times in our lives when we, we find ourselves there as well. Uh, the circumstances we face, the difficulties, the challenges, uh, we are just positioned in a place of despair. We can't see up from the darkness. It's hard to hope in those times. And so as we walk through this account of Paul's ministry, not only in his own life, but his ministry to the, the hopeless sailors that he's with, we want to focus especially on the faithfulness of the Word of God and how Paul and uh, the sailors around him find hope in their storm by taking God at His Word. That's our theme for today. When you find yourself hopeless in a deadly storm, find courage by taking God at His Word. We're going to walk through this and, and see how it unfolds, and I think you'll see that even though you and I may not find ourselves on a, on a ship in the middle of a stormy sea, well, at least I hope not, that we do face storms in this life. And we do feel like a storm-tossed ship, and we do find ourselves in times of despair. So how do we hope in those times? And if you're in that place today, I encourage you to listen to the Word of God and be encouraged by what we find here together today. We encounter Paul, uh, he's a prisoner here in chapter 27. If you remember recent weeks and studying Acts chapter 23 and on, uh, Paul has been in chains for quite some time now, over two years. He's uh, been really unfairly captive as prisoner. And he's been standing before trial in front of a variety of people, right, testifying over and over, I've really done nothing wrong except believe in Jesus, <laughs> And they leave him in prison, and he testifies again, and they leave him in prison. And finally, Paul appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He has that right to, to make that appeal, and so he asks to, to see Caesar about this case, which means that he'll be shipped all the way to Italy. And so begins the journey here in Acts chapter 27. It was decided, as verse 1 tells us, that they're going to sail to Italy. And so Paul and some other prisoners uh, find a ship. There's a centurion named Julius. He's one of our side characters in this story. He ends up being a help to Paul a number of times. He's a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. Now, we know really very little about what that would be, but the word Augustine we've encountered before. Remember, it's Caesar Augustus, or sometimes they just call him Augustus, and it means uh, your honor or ma your majesty. It's this highly revered one. And so interestingly for Julius to be a part of the Augustine 
uh, the, the Augustan regiment may mean that he served closely with the emperor himself. And so this high-ranking centurion is sort of escorting Paul and the other prisoners to Rome to appear before Caesar. And so Luke gives us so many fun details here in verses 1 through 5. We get to learn where the ship is from, Adramidium, right? And, and so they, they set off to sea and they go along the coast of Asia. And so this is a great, uh, great time to pull out a map. So here you can kind of see where the ship is headed. So uh, they leave from Caesarea here and go up the coast a little bit. And uh, we'll note that they, they land or, 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 or they uh, find port in Sidon for a little bit. You see it there uh, in verses uh, 2 and 3 and 4. Uh, and so they continue on and they make their way finally to this city of Myra here in Lycia. So, so far the, the, the sailing is going well and uh, they make their way there. They find a different ship when they get uh, to Myra. Now they're on a ship from Alexandria. Which, if you're familiar, that's a city in Egypt, actually, and so uh, in North Africa. And so, uh, likely, this was a grain ship. Egypt provided a lot of the grain for Rome, uh, and so it's probably on its way to deliver grain to Rome. You'll notice at one point in the story, they throw wheat overboard, uh, and so probably making its way to Rome. It's, a, it's obviously a large ship. We find out there's 276 uh, people on board. Of course, that includes uh, Julius and Paul and the other prisoners and the soldiers and so forth, but that's a big ship and uh, carrying grain as well. So they are able to procure this ship and they press on from there. And so verses 6 and 7 and 8 uh, tell us more about their journey. They begin to encounter some difficulty in this region. They come south of the island of Crete right here and ended up uh, finding port in Fair Havens. Doesn't that sound like a pleasant place? Let's, let's all go visit Fair Havens sometime. Uh, this is where they find port and they're stopped there. That's where we leave them in verse 8. So, so far the journey is going well, but you're going to note from here that uh, the seas are getting a little more tempestuous. It's getting later in the year. Uh, it's pointed out to us that the wind is increasing. Uh, they couldn't go exactly where they wanted. Um, in verse 9, we learn that they spend a, a good degree of time in fair havens. I would, wouldn't you? Uh, and so they're there for a while, and the, the seas are just getting more and more dangerous, as Luke points out. He mentions that the fast has already passed. This is likely referring to the Day of Atonement, uh, which uh, two saints, one commentator points out, that was in mid-October, uh, so not far from this time of year. And as winter approaches, the weather is getting a little bit more unpredictable, and storms are becoming more common common on the sea, and it's well known among sailors uh, that you really don't sail during the winter. In fact, uh, as we look back in history, it seemed common that at come November, no ships would sail uh, during this time period because the weather would get uh, so unpredictable on the waters. And so we understand a little better when Paul pipes up and says to the men, hey, I think this is going to end in disaster. Let's stay here in fair havens and not risk it. 
We learn in 2 Corinthians that by this time in Paul's life, he'd probably already been shipwrecked three times. <laughs> so we can understand how he might be a little hesitant to, to, to push things at this point. Like, guys, let's just stay here at Fair Havens. Uh, let's winter here, and then come spring when the weather's better, then we'll try the journey again. Well, we learn in, in verses 9 through 13 or 9 through 12 that uh, the, the owner of the ship, which, you know, understandably he has a lot of say, the helmsman who's one of the leaders on the ship, uh, they think it's a better idea to sail further. And they want to go to a, a port called Phoenix. Now, we don't know exactly where that is, uh, but best we can tell is in this region on the western edge of the island of Crete. And so if we were to estimate, we could say it's probably just about 50 miles away. So, you know, on the one hand, I get what Paul is saying, like, hey, let's not go for it. It's too dangerous. All the others want to do is go about 50 miles, which, you know, that doesn't seem too bad to a port that's a little better to winter in. And so that's their proposition there in verses 11 and 12. Let's just go to this next port in Phoenix and winter there. What could go wrong? It's only 50 miles away, right? Well, you've heard how the story goes. So they make the decision to press on. Verses 13 and following uh, open up the story of this part and say, well, at first there's this south wind that Luke points out is blowing softly. Doesn't it sound so pleasant? I mean, the journey begins so well here. Uh, so they, they put out of port and they head to the port of Phoenix here, but within just a short amount of time, a headwind rises up. A headwind is one that's coming at you, uh, the direction you're trying to go, which when you're in a sailboat, uh, that's not very helpful, is it, right? Because then it begins blowing you the opposite direction of where you want to go. And so before long, this headwind, they even have a name for it called the Euroclidon. Maybe we could imagine here in Iowa a, a derecho, okay? Uh, so there's a name for this kind of wind, and it's a strong storm that they've become familiar with, and it begins blowing the ship off course, and they don't even make it that 50 miles along the coast of Crete there. They're blown out to sea and uh, lost. They don't know where they're headed any longer. So they begin making preparations to secure the boat. We read about those in verses 17 and 18. In verse 18, Luke says, we're exceedingly tempest-tossed. Can you imagine uh, the men on board the ship, the sailors and the prisoners and so forth? Uh, I wonder if any of you have ever been on a, a boat where you've become seasick. And so now for days, they've been blown about these huge waves and the wind. They're tempest-tossed, right? And so they're, they're filthy, they're wet, they're cold, uh, they haven't eaten, and hope is growing dim. Verse 19 tells us that uh, after three days of that, they, they begin throwing things overboard, right? That's a sign they're losing hope. Uh, they're lightening the ship. They even throw the ship's tackle. Uh, that involves all sorts of equipment that was needed for various things on the ship, uh, even coming into port, some of those things. So that's another sign they're losing hope, that some of this necessary equipment they're just throwing overboard Verse 20, it says they hadn't seen the sun or the stars for many days, and the tempest continues to beat on them. Finally, the, we, we end verse 20 with this statement, all hope that we would be saved was finally lost, lost, lost at sea, 
They really don't even know exactly where they are. The wind has blown them adrift somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, and they're just trying to stay afloat. And survival now is, doesn't even seem like a possibility. They've lost all hope. Imagine the frustration that this might have been to the Apostle Paul. Maybe it comes out in the next verse, men, you should have listened to me, right? But can you imagine to, to have already told them, guys, let's not do this because the storms are getting worse. Let's just stay where we are, right? But they go against his advice and now they're lost at sea and Paul's ready for his fourth shipwreck. Sometimes in life, things just don't go our way, and we find ourselves hopeless. That's the first thing we we encounter in this text. Sometimes in life, oops, I'll get it up there eventually. Sometimes in life, things just don't go our way, and we find ourselves hopeless in a deadly storm, probably not literally on a sea, but the storms are real nonetheless. We face things that seem so difficult and hard, we are left hopeless. Often uh, times of hopelessness are related to sports. As a uh, Chicago Bears fan, many of you know, uh, I am used to having hopeless seasons. Uh, I read one article uh, recently about sports in Ohio. Sports fans, uh, so the article goes, sports fans in Cleveland and Cincinnati believe they have been suffering for over 30 years. Everybody's got the blues, Vincent Marano told the Cincinnati Inquirer. 30 years without a, without a championship in the state had led Marano and other fans to petition the Ohio State Medical Board to consider the fandom of the Browns and the Bengals as qualifying for the use of medical marijuana to encourage their hopelessness. Very hopeless. Thankfully, the board denied their application, but you may have heard that recently the state of Ohio legalized marijuana, and maybe we can understand why, uh, understanding the fans of uh, Cincinnati and Cleveland sports. Well, there are other ways to solve our hopelessness. In fact, as you know, medical marijuana is not the solution to hopelessness. There are real times of despair, not related to sports, but true times of despair and hopelessness that we will come upon in the Christian life. And so don't be alarmed if you have found yourself in that place before, where you look at your circumstances and it's hard for you to see a way out. Let me encourage you to turn to the Lord in those times. You see, we will come upon these times when it seems like there's no hope, but what we learn from this story is that there's always hope with God. Maybe you found yourself in a place like Paul where your opinion has been ignored, and you you look at the circumstances and scenario, and all that is running through your head is, if they just would have listened to me, and you find yourself in a place of hopelessness, unable to move past that thought. Maybe you face a storm of a different kind. Sometimes storms aren't uh, anybody's fault. Sometimes they are somebody else's fault. Maybe somebody in your home broke something and now you have a large repair bill that's looming. Maybe a neighbor sideswiped your car and now you've got dents and scratches that need to be repaired. 
Maybe your doctor made a mistake in your treatment and you're in pain and discomfort as a result. Sometimes storms of life aren't anybody else's fault. They just kind of come upon us. Hail damage on your car or surprising health issue that pops up. Loss of a job or conflict in your family or fatigue in parenting. Worst of all, maybe the storm is of your own making. In my opinion, nothing feels more hopeless or discouraging than the messes that I've created in my own life. We, we find ourselves in these places. We find ourselves hopeless and bailing water and wondering if it's worth it, if there's any hope, if there's any way out. Will this ever end? I want to tell you today that there's always hope with our God. His word never fails. So just watch how this unfolds in the midst of the hopeless storm with our friend Paul. In verse 21, Paul comes to somewhere in the middle of the ship, surrounded by the the sailors and prisoners. He sort of gets everyone's attention and begins to speak to them. I can't help but smirk a little bit with Paul's first words. (laughs) Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. I don't don't think Paul is just trying to rub it in. I don't think he's just trying to be snarky here. I, I think he's actually trying to get their attention to listen to what he's about to say next. Because this next word comes from God. In verse 22, Paul urges them to take heart. You see, again, I don't think he's just trying to be mean to them. I think he's genuinely trying to encourage them. Guys, please listen to me this time. Be encouraged because I've had a visitor. God had sent an angel to Paul during the night, verse 23. And I love Paul's description of God here. The God to whom I belong and whom I serve. I belong to him. He's caring for me. Now, at this point, Paul already knew, he had a promise for himself that he would make it to Rome. You remember Jesus showed up in the night? Well, Paul was in prison and and reminded him, you must testify for me in Rome. So, Paul already has some degree of confidence or understanding that somehow he's going to make it to Rome, even in the midst of the storm. But now, there's more to the message. The angel has come to Paul, and in verse 24 we read, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Now here's an interesting little tidbit. The angel said, God has granted you. Now that's an interesting way to phrase it, and here's what it implies. It implies that during the storm, Paul had been praying for the lives of his fellow men on the ship. And God has granted him the the lives of those men. God's answering a prayer here, I think. I can't prove it to you, but why else would it say God has granted to you the lives of the men on the ship with you? So Paul, in his care for these guys, had been praying, and God grants the prayer. Now they're all going to survive. And so Paul shares this message of encouragement with those on the ship with him. Take heart, men, verse 25, for I believe... God, that it will be just as it was told me. Isn't that a neat statement? I just love imagining this scene as as they're still sort of being tossed by the storm. And Paul says, guys, I had a visitor last night, an angel from God. 
the, the God to whom I belong and the one I serve. And he said, we're all going to survive this storm. Take courage. I believe this God. And I believe it will be just as he said. That's cool stuff. Now, whether or not the others on the ship believed Paul or not, you know, that's kind of up to them. But I'm so encouraged by what Paul says to them. Guys, it's going to be okay. I believe it will be just as it was told me. And then there's verse 26. However, (laughs) we must run aground on a certain island. So, God's going to save our lives, but it's going to involve some difficulty. It's, it's just, this is not one of those peace be still scenarios. We're going to have to go through the storm. But how encouraging it still was that God's presence was with them. God had promised to save their lives. And so from here forward, as they labor to bail water and you know, so on and so forth, there would be difficulty. They knew that God would care for them. Paul brings courage to these men with this message from the Lord, and we can take such courage by remembering the Word of God, by taking God at His Word. That's our second point today. Find courage by taking God at His Word. It's one thing to hear the Word of God. It's one thing to know what it says. It's another thing entirely to stand with a man like Paul who says, I believe God that it will be just as he said, especially when the rains continue to beat down on the ship and it continues to ride the waves of the storm to, in a moment like that, still say, I believe God. It will be just as he said. One of my favorite classes in high school was chemistry. I know, weird, but I had a great teacher, okay, and he did all of these experiments for us in class. That was the best part, just watching him, you know, blow things up and change things, the color of things and all of this stuff. So one particular class, he brought in a container of liquid nitrogen, and we spent the class uh, freezing things in liquid nitrogen. Here's what's interesting about liquid nitrogen is it's got an incredibly low, cold boiling point. Okay, so for it to be liquid means it has to be really cold. I actually don't remember the exact temperature. shows you how good my chemistry was. But at any rate, um, he was doing all these experiments. And so I remember, you know, he took one of those pieces of, of uh, what American cheese, you know, the floppy cheese. You know, he put it down in there, pulled it out. Uh, he had tongs, so, you know, thick gloves and tongs and all this because the stuff is actually really dangerous. And so he dropped it down in there, pulled it out, dropped it on the floor, you know, it just shatters on the floor. And a, a variety of other experiments like this, it would just freeze stuff on the spot because of how cold it was. So it was just super fun. You know, I had a great time. So I was one of those kids that stuck around after class, you know, like peering in the container of liquid nitrogen and, you know, wanting some more experiments. Ah, does the fun stuff have to end? And so my, my teacher happened to notice this and he's like, uh, you, you want to do something interesting? Okay, sure, yeah, this sounds great. He's like, okay, uh, back up for me, oh, a couple more feet. Okay, all right, sounds good. Uh, yeah, right about there, stand there. So he, he's standing here, I'm standing here. He said, all right, don't move, okay? Uh, okay, all right. He, he grabs the container of liquid nitrogen and he holds it in his hands like this, 
begins to rock back and forth a little bit. Like, uh, what is happening here right now? He's like, don't worry, you're going to be fine, okay? It, I'm telling you, it'll all evaporate by the time it gets to you. Are you sure about this? <laughs> He's like, trust me, you'll be fine. Okay, okay, okay. And so he leaned back and sure enough, dumps the whole thing out. And so at first I see the liquid coming out at me and within seconds it just turned into this kind of gaseous, misty smoke and all that hit me at the end was just kind of a cold breeze. Uh, and I didn't freeze. Wow. But that was one of those moments where I was asking myself, should I really believe this guy? I mean, I've seen some of the experiments he's been doing in class. Should I really take him at his word? But believe it or not, I did survive the liquid nitrogen experiment. Uh, I took him at his word, and it worked out okay. Now, I don't always recommend that with chemistry teachers, okay? But when it comes to God, we can always take him at his word. We can always trust what he says. And when we look to the scriptures, we can find courage by taking God at his word. I love that God is the one who finds Paul in the storm. Didn't you notice that these sailors don't know where they are? <laughs> they're lost at sea, right? They don't, they don't even know what land is near. They know they're in the Mediterranean Sea, so that's a start. But they're not lost to God. God knows right where to send the angel. He knows right where Paul is. And the angel comes to Paul and shares this encouraging word. God finds us in our hopelessness. It may be that, that you've never found hope in the Lord before. One passage that describes this well is in Ephesians chapter 2. There we read that, that before we came to Christ, Paul describes this this way, at that time, before Christ, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that an encouragement? Friend, what God has done in the gospel is he found us in our lostness. He sought us out with his love. He sent his son from heaven to earth so that he could bear our sins, die in our place, rise again, and as Peter says so well, that he might bring us to God. See, God tracks us down in our lostness. Maybe that you didn't know that today. You've, you've never placed your faith in God's provided Savior, Jesus. Can I tell you that this moment right here, when you're hearing the gospel, that's God seeking you out in your lostness. And right now, He would want you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, be found by Him today, and be brought near to Him by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you trust in Him today? If you have trusted in Christ as Savior, then that's what God has done for you. You know that He's a searching, finding God. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been brought near to God, never to be lost again. It's encouraging to remember that the Lord knows where we are at all times. And He's given us His Word as a source of hope and encouragement and of course, this involves us needing to open the scriptures, right? To, to, to read the word of God and to find hope there in what God has said. 
Not only do we need to open the scriptures and, and search the scriptures for encouragement, but we need to stop searching for hope in those other places. We so often turn to other things rather than turning to the Lord and finding our hope in Him. You know, I'd encourage you to just become more familiar with the scriptures. Know the passages that God has used to encourage you in the past. Which Psalms are your favorites and which New Testament scriptures do you enjoy going to to read about the promises of God? Maybe Romans 8 or 1 Peter 1 or Ephesians 1 through 3 or Colossians 1 or Romans 3 through 6. And the list could go on and on and on. But know, know the scriptures. And it may be that you're in a place of hopelessness where you don't even feel like you can open the scriptures. You're in such despair, you're not even sure where to go or how to start reading. Can I encourage you to, to reach out to me or to another brother or sister in Christ? Don't be embarrassed. We've all been in those times of despair. So reach out to somebody. Say, hey, I, I'm just really discouraged. Could we, could we get together and maybe just read some scripture together? Just open the Bible and talk about, I don't even know where to start or if I can even do it on my own. Can we get coffee or tea and just read? It's amazing how getting with another believer and opening the scriptures together can encourage your heart. That's one of my dreams for our church, that more and more and more God's people here would be getting together through the week to open the scriptures and read together. Just see what the text has to say and discuss it with one another. You don't even have to drink coffee. Let's just open the word together. In fact, we have a resource out on our shelves called One-to-One Bible Reading. It's by David Helm. It's nothing complicated. In fact, I took the whole book and I summarized it down into like a four-page little thing here. And all it does is gives you a little framework for opening the Bible together and reading it together. Just two brothers and sisters in Christ getting together, opening the scriptures. Hey, what does it say? And what does it mean for life? We have plenty of copies of this out on those bookshelves in the old foyer. And so feel free to grab one and take one with you. And maybe, maybe this week you text a friend and just say, hey, you want to get together and just read some scripture and, and discuss it a little bit? It doesn't have to take long. There's so much encouragement in the word and so much encouragement in fellowshipping with another brother or sister around the word. I encourage you to find courage by taking God at his word. To be able to say, I believe it will be just as he said. Well, notice how the rest of the story unfolds, because as Paul has already mentioned, however, we must run the ship aground. <laughs> and so we get to watch as that happens. Verse 27 tells us that it's now the 14th night that <laughs> they have been uh, suffering through this storm, and we'll learn in a little bit that they have not been eating. That's how hopeless they are. They, they've even given up eating. What's the point? We're not going to survive. So 14 days, they're, they're struggling through this storm. Luke uh, mentions some of the you know, directions and places that they are, and again, we can look at the map here. This one's kind of funny because they leave Fair Havens hoping to go to Phoenix, and we really don't even know where they end up. You know, we can't fight, so it's just kind of a squiggly red line because we have no idea how the, the ship actually went. They, they went up here in the Adriatic Sea. They went down by Sirtis at one point. And so uh, all those things are mentioned in the text. They're just sort of all over in the Mediterranean Sea. 
So as they're storm-tossed and lost on the sea, finally day approaches in verse 33. Day's about to dawn and Paul has something else to share with them. He encourages them to take food. He says, today is the 14th day without food, without eating anything. I urge you to take nourishment for this is for your survival. He says, not a hair of head will fall from any of you. And we could take this a couple of ways. We could take it that this may even be a promise from God that they wouldn't even lose a single hair, which is really a miracle because you really don't have to do much for a, for a hair to fall out during the course of a day. It could also be that Paul's just using hyperbole here to encourage them. Look, God has promised you will survive. No harm is going to come from you. Trust him. Trust him. And so he says these things, and he himself begins to eat. What we notice in this section in 27 through 38 is the steps of faith that Paul begins to take. Right? You have to believe you're going to survive to have any interest in eating again. And so Paul just says, hey, guys, we're going to make it. Take some food. And he begins with an, his own example. He gives thanks to God. I mean, what, a, what a, another step of faith. They're still in the storm. It hasn't calmed down yet. And Paul's there giving thanks to God for the bread he's about to partake of, probably also thanking God for granting them their lives. And he breaks the bread and begins to eat, and they see him do the same. But do you notice how they're encouraged as well? It says in verse 36, then after they saw Paul eat, they were all encouraged and took food themselves. So Paul's steps of faith begin to encourage the others on the boat and they begin to take some food and they eat. In fact, all 276 people on the boat have enough to eat. Though they had already lightened the ship, there was still plenty for them to eat. And again, we don't know if this is, you know, kind of one of those breaking of bread miracles where the bread's multiplying or if they had intentionally kept enough food. I tend to think they've probably thrown a lot of it overboard already. At any rate, God provides. And so they've eaten a little bit and we find out in verse 38, they throw the rest of the wheat into the sea. They're still in the midst of the storm, but little by little they take steps to follow God's word. That's the next thing we learn from Paul's experience here is that little by little, they take steps that follow God's word. I didn't spend much time on it, but there's this little scene that we, we sort of skipped over where these sailors seek to cut away what Luke calls the skiff. It's the lifeboat. Uh, and they're gonna get in the skiff and they're gonna try to get apart from the boat and, and be saved that way. But Paul actually points out, no, actually we all have to stay together for this to work out the way God intends for it to work out. So they need to stay with us on the boat. And so the soldiers actually cut the lifeboat away. I mean, talk about faith in God's word, right? Now again, it's understandable they wanted to stop a few of the sailors from escaping and leaving them behind without the lifeboat, but to cut it away. Wow, that's trust that God's going to provide. And then Paul shows that step of faith by saying, hey, we're going to need some sustenance here if we're going to survive this thing. So it's time to eat, guys. He shows faith by praying and giving thanks to God. All of these steps of faith show that he really does believe that God is going to save them. Taking little steps of faith like this can be, can be difficult. We really have to believe that it's going to lead to the right outcome. <laughs> 
I uh, have a silly example of this from recently. So many of you know a Rubik's Cube. I intended to bring it and show you, but I forgot it at home. So you know what a Rubik's Cube is, right? The nine-sided cubes that have uh, nine squares on each side, and you turn it all around to try to get the colors to all match up. Well, in my life, I have never been able to, to figure out how to do one of those things. So, so just the other day, I came across this video. It was like, saw the Rubik's Cube in 17 steps. Oh, fantastic. Finally, at 38 years old, I'm going to learn how to do the Rubik's Cube. So I watched the video, right? And it's like these three simple steps, some patterns that you kind of just do over and over and over again. So I watched the video two or three times, tried to copy it myself, watched the video again, tried to copy it myself, right? And over and over and over again, follow these steps, follow these steps, didn't work. Okay, well, I must have missed a step, so I go over and over and over again and over again. Didn't work. Oh, I go back and I watch the video again, and I find out that he's actually starting from a solved Rubik's Cube. So what he had done is simply found a pattern to take it from solved back around to solved again. Well, that doesn't help me, right? <laughs> Who's starting with a solved Rubik's Cube, right? I mean, it doesn't help me to go in circles all day long, so... I'm glad I caught that at the beginning of the video. Who knows how long I would have been there. I'd probably still have a Rubik's Cube in my pocket trying to figure it out uh, if I hadn't caught that in the video. If we think something's going to help us, we're often willing to take the steps right, involved. Okay, turn this way, turn this way, turn this way. But as soon as I found out the video wasn't going to help me at all, we're done with that. I guess I still won't know how to solve a Rubik's Cube, and I don't. But when it comes to following God's Word, when we take God at His Word, it naturally leads to taking steps that follow His Word. When we say that I believe that God says uh, the truth, what He says is true and it will happen as He said, then we'll begin to take steps of faith. And I love the way we see that with Paul here and with the sailors here. This means that at times we have to take uh, faith in God's Word over what we see around us. Again, I, it's important that your imaginations remember that Paul and his fellow sailors and prisoners, they're still in the storm. It's still going on. They're still lost. There's no guarantee at this point that they're going to survive. So it, it really took taking God's word over what they were seeing to take these steps of faith. And it's often that way in the Christian life. So many times our circumstances will look like God isn't in control. The, the storm continues on and we wonder, well, I thought he said. He did say, keep trusting, keep taking steps that follow God's word. Uh, we have to take God's word over our sight. I read a, a story recently about a family that was going through a difficult health diagnosis for their child, and the parents were really struggling with what had happened. And in this article, they were writing about how their pastor had been an encouragement to them, and they said, he, he came and visited us at one point, and he said, I, I need you to do something. I need you to remember what you believed about God yesterday before you received this news is still true about God today after you receive this news. He hasn't changed. Remember, keep trusting God and what He's like. Those steps of faith are, are difficult when our circumstances press in upon us and we have to look past what we see right in front of us and cling to by faith what God has said. 
to keep taking those steps of faith. This becomes hard when people around us maybe have gotten angry with us and we have to try to obey the Lord by not getting angry in return. Taking a step of faith that says, ah, I know this is what God wants me to do. I'll do what's pleasing to Him. This is difficult when it comes to loving those who are difficult to love. It it involves uh, the difficulty of sharing Scripture with those who aren't really listening Doing the right thing when others don't. Being the first to ask for forgiveness when all you can think about is that they really need to ask for forgiveness. There's so many scenarios like this when we really can't see how this is going to work out in our circumstances, but we cling to what God has said and take steps of faith. Say, I believe God that it's going to turn out as he said, and this is the next step he wants me to take, so I'll do it. I'll do it. And as we live that way, then finally we get to watch as God keeps his word. He does. And I'm so thankful. It's not based on our strength or our ability to figure it out or to do the right thing. God just keeps his word. And at the end of the day, we just get to watch as it unfolds. And this is how it happens in verses 39 through 44 of our text in this final section. Finally, it's day, they don't recognize the land, but there's this bay with a beach, and they think, hey, we'll head there. In verse 40, they actually r- end up running into, it's, it's called in the New King James, uh, a, a place, um, place where the two seas met, excuse me, that's in verse 41, a place where the two seas met, uh, and it could be referring to a sandbar or a reef, some of your Bible translations may have that, but at any rate, it's not the beach they were headed for, it's further out. And so they end up hitting this place, and the the ship gets stuck there. But even that, I think, is God's provision, because notice what happens next. In verse 41, it says it gets stuck on this reef or the sandbar, and the ship begins uh, being broken apart by the violent waves. And in verse 42, we read that one soldier's plan, or excuse me, some of the soldier's plan to kill the prisoners. You see, in Rome, if a soldier lost his prisoner, it cost his life. And so from the soldier's perspective, they're thinking, well, uh, better not to lose my life. Let's kill the prisoners, and that way we know we'll be okay. They didn't want them to swim off or escape or, or run off. Julius steps in again in verse 43 and keeps them from doing this, and it says even that he wanted to preserve Paul's life. Uh, Again, kind of a neat tidbit there of the relationship between Paul and the centurion. And so he commands those who can swim to jump overboard first and to get to land, and the rest can come on the boards and parts of the ship. Do you see what God has done? He's gotten them stuck in a place where two things happen. Part of the ship survives, so that they're able to jump off the ship and start swimming to land. Part of the ship is broken up, so they have flotation devices to help them get to shore. And so you've got those who can swim, that'd be the uh, sailors and soldiers who aren't in chains, right? They get to land first, and then the prisoners who are chained up, who really can't swim in that condition, all of a sudden now have all these flotation devices to float to land. The soldiers are already there, so they can make sure the prisoners don't escape. God's kind of worked it out perfectly. Now, again, not pleasant to go through a a situation like that, but I love Luke's conclusion in verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was, they all escaped safely to land. 
in this section, Paul, there's really nothing that Paul has to do here. He's just part of the group and he just watches as God keeps his word perfectly. Things unfold just as God has said. Now again, this isn't one of those peace be still moments. This is one of those moments where he carries them through the storm, through the ship being broken apart. Again, can you, can you imagine how difficult it would have been to trust God's word as the ship is actually being broken apart? It's some combination of waves and crashing against the, the reef and all of this. Well, uh, Paul, are you sure we can trust God's word? You know? But to continue to trust the Lord through our storms and watch as it always unfolds just as he said. God always keeps his word. And so we do our part, we take our, step, we take our steps of faith, and we trust him with the rest. Now part of this that's important is keeping our eyes on what he said Sometimes we bring expectations to God of things that, that He didn't promise us. Well, God, you promised that we, wouldn't have to, that we wouldn't have to be on a ship that broke apart. Well, actually, no, He didn't promise that. He just promised that they'd all survive, right? So we have to remember what God said exactly, because sometimes we bring our own expectations to God. Well, God promised that I'd be comfortable in this life. Well, no, that's not a promise. He promised us joy. Right? We have to stick to the Word of God. God didn't promise that I would never feel lonely, but He did promise that He would always be with me. Right? God promised that this life is for testifying for Him. In fact, there's actually a promise that there will be difficulty and persecution, but that He'll carry me through it, that He'll give me help to represent Him in every scenario. See, we have to remember what God has promised and cling to those words in our times of difficulty. And then we begin to look and see with eyes of faith, expecting God to work, asking ourselves that question, where do I see God at work in this scenario? So maybe someone who's been in the hospital for a few weeks, wondering if this is ever going to end, instead decides to watch for God at work and notes how God has been growing them through this season and, and takes note of the open doors to share the gospel that God has given through that time. That even though the circumstances are hard, eyes of faith look to the ways that God is keeping His promises. Eyes of faith look to the eternal over the temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 talks about that, and in your growth groups, you'll have further opportunity to discuss those verses this week. And so as we go through those storms, we watch God keep His Word just as He said. He always does. Friend, if you find yourself hopeless and in despair, I encourage you to cling to the Word of God. With God's presence his power, his word, the community of God's people, we are never in a hopeless condition. We might feel that way. You might sense despair in your own heart. But can I encourage you to turn to the scriptures? And if even that's a struggle for you, reach out to somebody who can help. Open the word of God with a brother or sister in Christ and find the true hope that is there. Find it again just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. God 
is always with us. We're never lost to him, and his word never fails, and his promises are sure. We, one of the stanzas that we sang today is just a rich, rich encouragement of that. In Christ, the sure and steady anchor. This, my ballast of assurance, see his love forever proved. What's the ballast? What's the the strong thing that holds us together in our time of difficulty? It's the gospel where we see his love forever proved. That in our lostness, he came and found us. In our sinfulness, he loved us and took our sin and paid for it on the cross. When we were at our worst, he came to us and saved us from our sin. That becomes our assurance that whatever storm we face, whatever trial we go through, no matter how strong or deep or difficult the tempest, our anchor hasn't gone anywhere. We can trust him and his word. Father, we thank you so much for the encouragement of the scriptures. We thank you for Paul's example in this storm and we do ask for your help in the storms we face in our own lives. We want to trust you. Thank you for Jesus and the gospel message. He is indeed our ballast of assurance, our sure and steady anchor. Help us to look to him and to trust in your word through our difficult times. And we rejoice in the hope you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.